Welcome to Biohackers Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Kerwin, and on today's episode, I have Ben Greenfield. Ben has a bachelor's and master's degree in sports science and exercise physiology, yet he has certifications in personal training and strength and conditioning coaching. He is the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Beyond Training, and has been voted as one of the top 100 most influential individuals in health and fitness. Ben, thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me on, man. I like your glasses. You know what I call those? <laughs> what do you call them? Birth control for your head. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> why, why do you call them birth control for your head? Because I have yet to ever wear blue light blocking glasses to a party or any other gathering and have anyone walk up to me and tell me how attractive that I look with my creepy red glasses on. Oh, wow. Okay. So, <laughs> so that's my problem. Uh, they're, they're highly, they're highly functional though. They're good for sleep. So, uh, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you're going to sleep alone. That's basic. They should put that with the glasses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're good for sleep because a, you produce more melatonin and B, you're highly unlikely to have a partner in bed with you. <laughs> 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 there you go that's the first biohacking tip for relationships if you want to stay single yeah. wear these glasses yeah exactly built-in contraception then <laughs> uh, um, you know with your intro there um, that's just a tiny bit of your life really I mean you've you've done so much in so little time and it's it's fascinating and that's why I wanted to get you on I mean you're one of the top biohackers uh, you know online and in the world so I'm so glad that uh, I got a chance to speak to you today and as I can see, if anyone's watching the YouTube video of this uh, this interview, you're <laughs> you're exercising and podcasting at the same time. Uh, I, well, I'm walking on my on my walking treadmill, but I have to admit, uh, it irks me when people consider this to be exercising because uh, you know if we look at the blue zones, right? These areas of longevity or uh, or higher than uh, than normally would be found number of centenarians you know in in the population we see you know very little structured workouts very little talk of, of exercise per se as much as just the sprinkling of low level physical activity spread throughout the day right so i actually don't exercise that much at all but i move all day long right so i consider what i'm doing right now just movement right not not exercise you know in, in the same way that uh, you know after i talk to you i'll I'll be lunging or, or kneeling or, or standing or, or leaning against my stool, you know? So, so I would say that, uh, that, that right now for me, I'm doing what I think should be considered normal among modern humans, which would just be just figuring out ways to move, uh, during the day. And so, you know, I have all, all manner of different things scattered about my office to help, you know, help make that occur from, you know, balance boards and balance mats to, you know, uh, stools to saddle chairs to this walking treadmill. So, so yes, I am, uh, it may seem like a subtle, subtle semantic difference, but I'm, but I'm moving. I'm not exercising. Yeah, no, I fully agree with you, man. It's, uh, the word exercise is too strong of a word, um, movement and movement heals. I I've always had the concept of creating fidget desks. So at 
so I've, I've never liked actually quite liked the idea of just a standing desk because you're stationary you actually need to fidget you need to keep moving stimulating yeah exactly exactly i mean standing is just bad for you sitting really you know uh, granted you know standing up regulates lipase and uh, you're going to see an increase in in fat burning activity you're typically going to see more you know small core musculature activation but you also see varicose veins and hip issues and knee issues and foot issues and low back issues and all sorts of things like that and people who stand all day too you know the trick is to neither sit all day or stand all day but just to engage in as wide a variety of positions as you can be in during the day you know mm -hmm. yep for sure so this this has already got me into what i wanted to start our talk with was uh your your ability to be so productive and also manage your stress because you get up to so much in a day or a week or a month it's it's incredible so i'd love to sort of just get to know a little bit about ben greenfield and how do you stay so productive um you know, it, that <laughs> that's always a difficult question for me to answer because, like, I've always been that way. Um, part of it probably stemmed from me being homeschooled K through 12 and never really having a standard set for me as far as what limitations should be placed on productivity or should be placed on the way that I structure my day because I pretty much grew up having to learn how to structure my own days uh, independently, uh, discover knowledge in many cases, and also, um, you know, de determine for myself when I was going to have breaks and when I was going to, um, you know, perhaps, you know, what we might consider to be, you know, like, like lays around or, you know, engage in, in recreational activities. And so I think because of that, I, when I was young, I would just fill up my entire day with as many interesting activities as possible. And when I was in college, same thing, right? Like I applied every semester to take, you know, 30 credits or, you know, 35 credits instead of the traditional, you know, like 18 to 20, because I was like, well, I'm in, I'm in college. I'm here to learn. Why shouldn't I just be in classes all day long? You know, and then I'd, I'd finish up classes and, you know, I'd, I'd go to the gym or I'd do my personal training or work at the bakery or, you know, work at the coffee shop or, you know, hold down any of the, the five to six different jobs that I had in college because, you know, for me, work was play, play was work, and and uh, I love to learn. And for me now, uh, it's really no different. I fill every waking moment with some kind of a, a you know, uh, an activity that actually has a point, whether that be reading or sauna or, uh, you know, or, or painting or playing an instrument or... Uh, do, doing anything else that that really helps me to delve into what I'm personally interested in, and then I'm a complete idiot when it comes to things that that really don't move the dial in my life. Like I watch maybe one to two movies a year. I don't watch any TV. I don't really follow politics. I used to read the newspaper every day, and you know I quit doing that. You know, and, and you know, so I'm a, I'm a complete dummy in many areas of life because I've chosen to prioritize the things that. I find important. Um, and I simply structure my day so that there aren't a lot of wasted moments, right? It's like they, they talk about how the UPS drivers over here in the States, like they teach them how to primarily during on, the, on, on their routes when they're delivering packages to always turn right instead of left, right? Because 
it actually cuts out on a lot of travel time, at least here in a, in a country where we drive on the right side of the road, to always be turning right instead of left because you're not waiting to, you know, cut across traffic. You're not you usually can go right at a red light, et cetera. And so I kind of consider my own life to be the same, right? Like, um, I don't, I, I structure my day so that there's not a lot of wasted time, right? I don't go to the gym. I just have a gym next to my office with my kettlebells and everything. So I never waste time like driving to the gym, driving home, et cetera. I don't really go to like meetups or coffee meetings or clubs or restaurants that often unless I'm traveling and it's for a specific reason when I travel because I find that the process of driving somewhere, meeting someone, et cetera, it's, it's, it takes up far more time than simply hopping on the phone or, you know, having a quick chat. I have, I have people who work here in town for me locally who I might even only see like once a month because, you know, if we want to have a quick chat, we do it on Slack or send a couple of text messages back and forth, right? So, so I'm a creature of, of efficiency, and I also don't waste a lot of time doing things that I just don't feel um, move the dial in terms of uh, what I enjoy in life because you know life, life's too short to uh, to uh, um, you know be be pulled apart by the latest TV show or you know, something that allows other people to dictate what you're going to do with your time than allow you to dictate with what, what you're going to do with your time. Um, and, and then probably an, another really important thing is that uh, I, I really do structure my days for both efficiency and also for, um, uh, for lack of decision-making fatigue, right? So there's, I, I don't have a lot of, of dietary variety or like I eat very similar things for, for breakfast and for lunch and for any snacks. You know, for breakfast, I have my big smoothie. For lunch, my big ass salad. For a snack, typically some kind of like a, a little bit of coconut milk with chia seeds or some other form of fat. And then dinner tends to be highly varied for me. But a lot of times it's because my wife or my children are, are cooking some kind of a meal, not because I'm spending, you know, a couple of hours preparing some new dish. Right. So I don't think a lot when I when I sit down to, to eat, that saves time. Um, I have very efficient exercise habits. Even when I competed, you know, in triathlon and now competing professionally in obstacle course racing, I, I get in and I get out of my workouts very quickly, right? So like this morning's workout was 30 second high intensity bout of hypoxia followed by 30 seconds of hyperoxia using a, a live O2 uh, oxygen unit that, that allows you to fluctuate from you know, very little oxygen in the air to high amounts of oxygen in the air. So I'll, uh, you know, 10 extremely hard 30 second efforts, 30 second recoveries, followed by 20 minutes in the sauna, you know, doing my yoga, everything and, you know, everything like that. So, so I'm hitting my cardiovascular performance extremely efficiently, following that up with blood building, finishing that up with a cold shower or a cold soak. And then uh, by doing that, you know, I'm, I'm simulating an extremely long endurance workout with, with less than an hour of training. Um, you know, similar thing when I lift weights, I do a lot of supersets, triple supersets, back to back sets, uh, density training, a lot of things that allow me to get in and get out of the gym pretty quickly. So I, I kind of structure my life for efficiency, but, but in a way that still allows me to enjoy what I'm doing. Um, and, and, you know, not, not in a way that, that makes me feel like I'm just constantly like self quantifying and sucking all the enjoyment out of life. So mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, just extreme efficiency, I guess. Those are a few things that come to mind when you ask me that question. Yeah. Well, already what I'm hearing from you is just mindset, you know, so you're, you're, you're focused, 
um, and you want and you want to achieve certain goals. And so why and you and you have the the realization that there are these other things that are just trying to distract you in life. And I'm I'm in the same boat as you. I remember um, back in 2010, I, I thought I'd do a little experiment to see what it's like to not um, have a TV just for 30 days or 60 days, just to see because it's you know entertainment is such a big or TV entertainment is such a big part of most people's lives in the Western world. And it was, in, it was fascinating. So since that day, I've never owned a TV and I've, <laughs> and most people are blown away when they come to the house and think, where's your TV? And it's like, well, yeah, I don't watch TV. So, um, I don't miss it. Right. Right. I have a TV and the main thing I use it for is as a guy who is immersed in the health and fitness sector. And as a freelance journalist, a lot of times folks will send me things to review on DVD, like workouts to review. And so usually anytime I have for spending in front of the TV, it's, it's to go through some kind of a workout, mm. like a workout DVD. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's about it with, with one that I recently did was pretty entertaining. It was diamond Dallas page, a professional wrestler here in the U S has a yoga DVD. So it's <laughs> nice yoga DVD. I was doing, uh, professional wrestling yoga, the most notable, uh, uh, moves of which would be you do your traditional uh, chaturanga, you know, your yoga series, etc. But then when you pop up from it and you bring your arms up overhead, you basically like point, point your arms up overhead towards the sky and you go like this. You say, superstar. <laughs> um, <laughs> Love it. So there you go. Professionally wrestling, professional wrestling yoga um, by Diamond Dallas Page. Did this he... podcast is brought to you by... <laughs> did did he um send you a nice little costume of some sort that you had to wear too whilst you had to do it? No, but I would love to get my hands on a mankini or or a unitard or something like that that I could wear for for that activity. That would step it up a notch. For yeah, sure. yeah, you know, you got you got to live the role. So yeah, get, get exactly. you get you into it. Um, I love that you brought up the homeschooling part because um, I actually homeschool well with my wife, of course, um, our two children, and um, it it or just even what you said with your experience of, of growing up doing homeschooling, did you, you, you felt that was a positive experience? Well, look, I mean, homeschooling can be a positive experience. I have also run into children who are unschooled slash homeschooled who have very poor social skills, you know, poor eye contact, um, uh, seem to have that, or that idea that you can just kind of wear whatever you want and, People don't judge you by your looks, which simply isn't true in our day and age, right? You can't walk around with your hair messed up and, and uh, you know, wearing like a dirty sweatshirt and jeans and torn up shoes and expect not to be judged in a certain way. Like, I think that homeschooling tends to breed someone who is like a lone wolf, who thinks outside the box, who doesn't follow rules well, who is good at sticking it to the man, who is not a good team player, or who is not a good factory worker. And there are pros and cons of that, right? Like for me personally being homeschooled helped me to think outside the box and to attack problems in a very different way because I simply never learned how to how to think inside the box. Uh, but at the same time, when I got to college, I was very poor at being a team player. I had to micromanage everything. I was poor at delegating. I was poor at um, at playing well with others, right? Where, But I was very good at being a lone wolf and an independent learner and a leader. So I think that that because of that homeschooling can create someone who is perhaps um, too independent, who doesn't cooperate well enough with others. But I think that can be mitigated or skirted if you 
do one of two things. Either A, take a child who's homeschooled and expose them to as wide a variety of cooperative social learning situations as you can. You know, typically that would be sports. That's a very simple way that that can be achieved. You know, you homeschool your kid, but you put them into like team basketball or tennis lessons or, you know, team soccer or football or, you know, anything else that, that really teaches them how to work well uh, with groups, um, you know, extracurricular activities, so to speak, rather than just having them, you know, being, you know, barefoot at the kitchen table at home. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing would be you do, you know, as I started doing after I homeschooled my kids for three years, I, I decided to go this route instead, you know, kind of like the outsourcing route to where I found a really good private school for my kids where they actually are learning how to be good little factory workers and cooperate well with others and, you know, and, and learn in the classroom style format. But then when they come home uh, from school, uh, that's not when I assume that they have learned everything that they need to learn and, you know, they can just come home and hang out. Instead, I prepare myself in terms of the work that I do during the day and the choices that I make during the day to be done with most of what I have to do by the time my kids get home at 4 p.m. so that I can then begin the unschooling process so that I can do things like teach them how to whatever, you know, they have a podcast. So I, so I've taught them how to podcast, how to work with their virtual assistant, how to record, how to, you know, upload things to the internet. I've taught them how to, you know, do wilderness survival and build fires on their own and shoot bows and, you know, start businesses like listing their room on Airbnb and taking photographs and greeting guests when the guests come and, you know, doing all sorts of little things that they might not learn at school from, from business building to, uh, to, you know, outdoor creativity, to a lot of things that allow me to fill in the gaps. So I would say in an ideal scenario, you create a child who who is a resilient free thinker who could, let's say, survive in a zombie apocalypse. But at the same time, you also expose them to some type of activity, even if that is a, you know, private school, for example, that teaches them how to play well with others. And I think by doing that, you can create a, a very well-rounded child, you know, versus just say like, you know, buying a, uh, buying a curriculum and having them learn at the kitchen table and play with their very small subset of other homeschooling friends. You know, I think that can create a child who, who is not quite socially prepared for, uh, you know, shall we say the real world. Mm -hmm. No, I hear what you say. And, um, that definitely is a a particular issue, I I guess in the homeschool and even people who look outside on the homeschooling world saying that, um, the children will be isolated, especially socially. So um, it, I think it's always interesting speaking to someone who's gone through the process like yourself and you are an entrepreneur and you've managed to do all that you do. So it's, it's, uh, I think it's a nice reference point for people to hear. So when it comes to, uh, stress management now, how do you manage the busyness of life? Uh, What you were telling me earlier about, you actually do, you, you know, workers play, players work. That already tells me that that's a way you don't get stressed because to you doing activity doesn't stress you because it's not seen as work. You're enjoying the activity that you do. So you, you're not maybe experiencing a bad stress in one sense. But do you find there's certain things that you like to do to just chill out or um, get yourself like in a good zone again? Yeah, first of all, that whole work is play, play is work thing takes uh, takes a strategy, meaning that, you know, beginning about 10 years ago, I started outsourcing 
right? So I hired my first virtual assistant from the Philippines. And when I didn't have time to, let's say, uh, shop for an item online or um, you create a spreadsheet of contacts for a specific list, let's say like a list of triathlon clubs or triathlon coaches for a product I would be creating for triathlon training, I would assign it to the VA. And by outsourcing, I was able to free up my time to do the things that I'm good at or the things that I love, which would be, you know, in my case, writing, uh, creating content, uh, researching and, and speaking, right? Like those are the things that, that I, I do well. And to a certain extent, you could also say competing, right? Like in some of the, you know, like the obstacle course racing and triathlons and, you know, things that, that do require, you know, time for, for training. And so, um, you know, after outs, you know, hiring a, a first virtual assistant, you know, a decade ago, I've since rinsed, washed and repeated that process to where, you know, I don't mow my lawn. I don't do the laundry. I don't really clean anything. I don't take care of the pool. I don't, I don't plow our driveway, right? Like I've outsourced just about every aspect of life to free me up to do the things that I'm good at or the things that I enjoy. Um, and, and you know, there, there are, uh, the, when, it, when it comes to to that concept of outsourcing, I mean, really the best way I can describe it is like when, when my wife and I were out to dinner a couple nights ago, you know, we ask ourselves we little questions like we'll use table topics questions or, you know, we're, we've got a great book we're going through right now called uh, Seven Principles of a Highly Successful Marriage, I think is the title of that book. But, you know, part of it is when we go on dates, we're, we just like, you know, we're we're not sitting there, you know, tapping away on our phones and just chatting about the kids or business or whatever. Like we, we go deep with questions to each other. And one of the questions we were going through, uh, was, was from this book. It was like, what, what household chore do you most dislike? It was a, a question approximately like that. And, you know, my wife's like, I think, I think she said something like, you know, filling the dishwasher. And it took me like five minutes of thinking and scratching my head. Finally, like, babe, I don't have any household chores. Like I can't think of a single chore, and and it's true. I just don't have any household chores because I've outsourced everything. I even have a girl who comes over to the house and goes to the mailbox and opens the mail and sets out anything that I need to see and throws out the other things and you know scans the stuff that needs to be scanned and sent off to people. So, uh, you know, a big big part of that work play play to work thing is is really learning how to how to outsource. You know, like a like a freaking champ. You know, with probably. Tim Ferriss's four hour work week being like the, the book that first kind of launched, I guess, the worldwide interest in, in outsourcing among entrepreneurs. And now there's a there's a variety of different ways to do it. Um, but kind of kind of coming out of that rabbit hole you know, to answer your question directly about stress management. Some of the things that I do is I, I have a very distinct uh, bookend each day, meaning that I guard heavily the first 90 minutes of my day. Meaning from, let's say I get up at six, uh, I will not have anything scheduled until at least eight, right? Allowing me time for, for an hour and a half of anything from journaling to yoga to sauna to, you know, cold soaks to, um, to foam roller work to anything that allows me to just focus on me for that first little bit of the day um, without needing to react to the whims of others. At the end of the day, I always have some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of a way to duck into my office between about uh, 630 and, and eight. Usually our family eats dinner around 8 p.m. a little bit late. 
But I, you know, after I duck into the office then to put out any last remaining fires on email or blog posts or, you know, finish up whatever I need to finish, um, at that point, it's a very distinct uh, end of the day after which, you know, the only activities I'll do would be like playing guitar or ukulele or, or um, you know, uh, sitting in the sauna and reading uh, fiction or, um, you know, uh, making love or, you know, doing doing things that are that have nothing to do with work, but that allow you to de-stress. So I begin my day with some very intensive de-stressing activities and end my day, you know, with that idea that, okay, work is definitely done. You know, I'll go check emails after dinner or, you know, or pick up a book after dinner that has to do with my, my work or, you know, like exercise science research or something like that. So beginning and end of the day, I definitely, um, ease into the day and I finish the day with, with something very de-stressful rather than just having, you know, some, some, uh, you know, I guess, uh, no, no distinct time of the day when work ends. I also, um, from a, from a stress management standpoint, you know, if we look at this, you know, related to the, to the title of your podcast, you know, biohackers lab, uh, I would say three things that I do that aren't talked enough about in our community that wants to, you know, pop phosphatidylcholine or phosphatidylserine or adaptogenic herbs for cortisol or, you know, use like a, you know, an electrostim device on the head to increase dopamine and serotonin and decrease cortisol, you know, all these fancy biohacks. I'd say that three things that, that I focus on are, um, number one, laughter, like really going out of your way every day to, uh, to, to either like talk to people about things that, that make us laugh or laugh at things. Uh, you know, like the last podcast that I did, you know, I, I, you know, me and, and, and the guy was podcast. We took up our shirts for the podcast. We we're making jokes about nipples and not wearing your boxer, you know, and, and just things that were just kind of funny. Cause I'm a big fan of laughter to de-stress and, you know, bringing joy into people's lives to de-stress and, uh, being outdoors. That's another big one. We've, we've shown that, that the polyphenols and the, and the sense from, you know, being outdoors can decrease cortisol. We know that the, the fresh air can decrease cortisol. Uh, a lot of, I found a lot of people in the biohacking community just don't freaking get outdoors enough, right? Cause we're buying mm -hmm. indoor vitamin D tanning lamps and, you know, biological led and HEPA air filters and all these things that make us feel like we could just like stay indoors all day long. But I think more biohackers just need to get outside. Uh, speaking of which I went camping with, uh, with some biohackers at this biohacker summit in Finland and, you got all these people standing around who are, who are trying to hack longevity and who are, you know, who are optimizing air and light and water and electricity and, you know, wearing self-quantification devices. But um, nobody knew how to start a fire, right, or how to, like, pitch a tent in the wilderness. <laughs> so, yeah, I think this concept of being comfortable <laughs> with being outdoors and surviving in the wilderness is is something more people should tap into. It's almost like a de-stressing activity. So being outdoors, laughter, and then breath work. Like I'm a huge fan of, you know, I'll do like uh, like deep breathing, fire breathing, decompression breathing at the beginning of the day. When I go on walks, I'll do box breathing and hypoxic breathing. When I'm in the sauna, I'll do sometimes holotropic breathing. Uh, or uh, alternate nostril breathing. And when I'm laying in bed to go at night, I'll do like diaphragmatic breathing, belly breathing. So this concept of, of really using the ancestral idea of prana, right? Like of breath being life 
uh, to your advantage when it comes to constantly being mindful of one of the most potent ways to decrease cortisol. Um, that's that's really important as well. So those would be those would be a few things. And I mean, yeah, occasionally you do have to you do have to biohack. Right? Like right now, below me as I'm walking on this treadmill, I have a cold air diffuser that is diffusing pine right straight up at me as I'm talking to you. And so I'm getting some of those de-stressing benefits similar to if I were, you know, doing the, the Japanese practice of Shinrin Yoku or forest bathing, right? Yeah. But I'm in my office and I'm walking on the treadmill instead. So I'm looking outside. You'll notice I'm not really looking at you while I'm talking as much as I'm kind of looking out the window because mm -hmm. out my window, I can see the trees and I can smell the pine. And so for me, my body is almost tricked right now into thinking that, that I'm I'm outdoors wandering through the wilderness. Um, so yeah, I mean, there are ways that we can, we can hack some of these things as well, but, but yeah, those are some of the biggies beginning and ending the day with some sort of, uh, um, some sort of, of you time that allows you to just focus on you and, and not jumping into the, into the fray of, you know, the matrix of bullets of emails coming out from your computer that you got to duck from. And then, um, being outdoors, breath work, and laughter, right? Those are three things that I think are much, much better than any supplement or biohack that you could do. Well, Ben, that's so refreshing to hear that because, you know, I, I completely agree with you. It's the keep it simple, stupid concept. And that's the, the problem in our modern world sometimes is that we've overcomplicated things. And we, and as you said, something as basic as how to make a fire, a basic survival instinct that we, we've kind of forgotten how to do something like that. And, uh, and there's so many other health benefits that we don't need to, um, what's the word? Like in medicine where, um, oh, I can't believe I've, it's just dropped off my head. But base, instead of looking at the bigger picture, like when you're outside, there's not just one health benefit. You know, there's so many things that happen just by placing yourself outdoors. Like, there you go. That's an instant biohack um, that's going to improve your health. So, I right. think those three. Although I think I those think, three although tips. I think. I think. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. It's silly to call that a biohack, right? Like, I, I like for for me, I think I think a lot of what we call biohacking is silly to call biohacks, right? It's like, oh, I'm gonna go biohack my smoothie and put butter in it, or I'm gonna go biohack my sleep and wear a sleep mask. It's like, no, that's not biohacking. That's just putting butter in the blender and making sure the room isn't too bright when you're asleep, right? To me, like biohacking is the dude who injects chlorella into his eyeballs for night vision mm -hmm. or, you know, Kevin Warwick and his wife who implant chips in their body to be able to communicate with one another or that, you know, the folks who use their bodies as, as wetware and external implants as hardware and do things like put magnets into their, their fingertips, right? Like, or, or, you know, vagal pacemakers on the sides of their neck. So I said, so in my opinion, that's biohacking. I think, I think we've gotten way too caught up in the modern, um, healthy living movement, you know, all these podcasters and authors and everybody talking about biohacking when in fact, you know, I would say 75% of what's called biohacking these days isn't actual biohacking, right? We're just using that sexy term to describe something that is just, uh, that, that is just living or that could be described using a using a much different more appropriate term than biohacking right it's mm -hmm. like being outdoors that's not a biohack right it's just being outdoors so yeah uh, 
so yeah, sorry, sorry to take us down that that little rabbit hole, but no, no, but, I, I, yeah. I, I like it that I, I found the raw nerve and we exposed it. So, <laughs> right, yeah, no, but I, you know, it is true. You know, the original, if we had to look at the original terminology, it is the wetware and the grindware guys and the crazy things that they do to their bodies, and right. But I guess the word biohacking nowadays in the community has been softened to just if you do something to try and improve your physiology, to to try and improve your health. Like we could say if you go to gym, some people might call that biohacking, but it's it's like, well, you're just actually going to gym or you're just ex- like you're just moving just to keep your, your body well. Is that biohacking? No, you're just actually doing something the natural body should do. So you're not going right, exactly. to a crazy level. Yeah. Yeah. And let, let's face it, the word biohacking just sounds cool, which I get, right? Like it's sexy. Yeah. You know, for me to say I'm biohacking my sleep or I'm biohacking my exercise. So I get it. But at the same time, I have to name that I, I sometimes think we overuse the word. Mm-hmm. And so that gets me also now into uh, your gratitude journal. I wanted to touch on that um, because that's sort of a continuum of the stress management or just the, the mental mindset. Um, would you mind just explaining um, the, what is a gratitude journal and why you created your gratitude journal? Well, I don't want to kick the gratitude horse to death, but we do know that it can directly, when, when you name things that you are grateful for or you, you're, you're, you conscientiously write down what you're thankful for rather than just like feeling like that woo-woo sense of gratitude, actually writing it down or saying it out loud what happens is we see a distinct growth in the ability to be able to empathize with other people and increase in empathy during the day. We see better sleep, fewer doctor's visits, lower blood pressure, um, lower cortisol, uh, a, a host of both physiological and psychological responses to gratitude that really do make it you know, one of the most powerful emotions that you can consistently and should consistently tap into. Now, there are journals out there. There's many gratitude journals out there that you can buy. Uh, and they're, you know, very, very similar uh, between all of them, right? You write down the one, three, five things that you're grateful for at the beginning or the end of each day. Now, as I would go through some of these journals over the past several years, many of them also have like your daily affirmation, right? Like your me, 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 I, 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 what am I going to accomplish each day? A lot of them have something that you're going to read, like some sort of a, a passage or inspirational quote. But I found a couple of things. A, it's super easy to skim over the reading or the quote and just like jump straight into gratitude. B, that whole idea of starting off the day with me, 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 I, 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 what am I going to accomplish? Um, what, what's in it for me? I'm good. I'm great. I'm wonderful. And, and gosh darn it, people like me. You know, uh, the, the, the Saturday Night Live, a Stu, Stu Smalley quote, um, it, it's a little bit selfish, right? Like it, 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 it's really very, very self-facing, not very others-facing. And so what I began to do a few years ago was I, would, I did a few things to, uh, to hack this, shall we say. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I forced myself to write down what it was that I discovered, what truth I discovered 
from my reading or from the quotes that I was reading. Because I start off every day with reading something scriptural or devotional or woo-woo or spiritual or something that doesn't have a lot to do with, you know, exercise and health and, and fitness. But that is instead allowing me to tap into what I believe is the most important part of life, which is really your, your spirit, your soul, which is going to go on much, much longer after your body and your mind have rotted. And uh, by... Knowing that I'm going to write down the one truth that I discovered from that day's reading, I read with far more mindfulness than I normally would. I don't tend to skim. I don't tend to sit there, you know, squinting through my eye boogers, you know, trying to trying to just quickly read. Instead, I, I read with with great conscientiousness and mindfulness. Uh, and then the other thing is that rather than writing down the thing that I'm going to accomplish that day or the thing that, you know, my daily affirmation, I write down one person that I can serve or help or pray for that day. Like one person I can go out of my way to be there for. And if you think about that, over 365 days of journaling, that's several hundred people that you could technically help each day, whether it's your neighbor and you're just going to go and, uh, and, you know, perhaps, um, you know, bring, bring them a treat, uh, after dinner or or after breakfast, or you're going to call your grandma or, you're going to deliver some extra food in your pantry that you have to uh, to the local soup kitchen, you know, on the way to or from work, right? Like any little thing like that, it, it adds up and it helps you to make the world a better place. And so that was my system for several years was uh, what's the truth that I discovered today? Uh, who's one person I could pray for, help or serve? And what am I grateful for? And uh, last year I decided to just take those three questions and turn them into an actual journal. Um, because the journal is heavily influenced by Christianity, I call it the Christian gratitude journal. And, uh, and yeah, I basically produced it and made it into a journal. It's the same journal, my wife and myself and, you know, my, t- my two nine-year-old boys, we use it every day. A, l- a lot of folks are using it now. And, um, yeah, just did, did did like a Kickstarter for it last year and got some steam enough people were interested in it where I decided to publish it. And, and, uh, yeah, and that's, that's, that's gratitude. And that's how I practice it each day. Yeah. And it, I hear it more and more, as you said, um, it is getting spoken about a lot more and it, it's interesting that uh, writing down things just, it gives us that little bit of time to be conscious again. Um, and that's what I'm hearing from you too when you were saying that you allocate time in the beginning of your day and you end the day and you have a cutoff period that you're actually sort of allocating time for yourself and that's a healthy thing to do because you are like even to, with you speaking to me now, you're giving a part of your time to me to speak to me but there's got to be time when you can just spend time with yourself and collect your thoughts and but then think you know, and do other things that uh, stimulate your life. So it's it's nice to hear that that it's and most people, I, I haven't tried gratitude journaling yet myself, but everyone that I know who does it uh, finds a lot of benefit from it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, with uh, j- just with our last few minutes here, Ben, then um, I'd like to find out too. Uh, you, you touched on a little bit then with uh, diets and how you keep it simple. That's That to me sounds um, fascinating in one sense because you've experimented with a lot of different ways of eating over your time too. Have So, having maybe tried lots of different types of uh, diets or ways of eating, what have you found is maybe best for your system 
right now in, at your current age with your current lifestyle? Yeah, I have experimented with a lot of different ways of eating. I can tell you the mouth works best. Uh, the ears, the anus, the nostrils, none of those seem to be able to chew food very well. <laughs> so that's my first tip is okay. when it comes to a way of eating, uh, use your mouth. Uh, but, but seriously, um, what works best? Well, you have to figure out what works best for you, not what works best for, for Ben. Um, yeah. meaning that, that in my opinion, everybody should get a very, very good gold standard, like, uh, antibody reaction to foods tests. Like I like the Cyrex panel, which we use over here in the U S which tests your body's reaction to both the raw and the cooked versions of a protein, not just the raw version which a lot of labs do, right? Like they'll test like your white blood cells reaction to raw eggs. And if they see a reaction, they're like, oh, you're allergic to eggs. Well, a lot of people can't handle raw eggs, but you just find cooked eggs, you know, the same except for, for chicken or, you know, other compounds. So like a really good food allergy panel. I really like a genetic test, not only to see what your ancestors ate, but to see if you have specific genetic SNPs responsible for, let's say you've got the APO uh, E44 uh gene and, and uh, you're, you're homozygous on that one. And uh, therefore, uh, you would tend to uh, oxidize cholesterol or store very, very large levels of cholesterol, have an increase in cholesterol particle count uh, in response to a ketogenic diet. You know, there's another gene defect on, I think, uh, the, one of the PPAR genes that would be responsible for this as well, in which case the same ketogenic diet that works really well for your neighbor for you would cause inflammation and increased risk for cardiovascular disease, right? And so, so perhaps a, a more, you know, ketoban based fiber rich, starch rich diet would be the correct choice for you. Um, I also think everybody should do like a really good comprehensive blood panel and a good comprehensive gut panel, again, to determine what foods may or may not agree with you. You know, do you have uh, bacterial overgrowth, in which case maybe kombucha and red wine wouldn't be up your alley, although they'd work just fine for someone who may not have, you know, bacterial overgrowth. Or um, do you have vitamin D levels that are, let's say, at 70 or 80, in which case excessive vitamin D supplementation at, you know, let's say 4,000 international units a day for you might increase calcium deposition in the arteries and cause arterial calcification, whereas for someone with vitamin D levels at, say, 30, it would not cause that issue. So we live in an era where you can self-quantify to determine what diet is right for you rather than just looking at what diet is working for your favorite author or biohacker or podcast or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, what personally works really well for me is, especially for my levels of physical activity, uh, not only the reduction in excessive diet variability that we talked about earlier, right? Like, like reducing decision-making fatigue by keeping many of my meals uh, while nutrient dense, relatively consistent up until dinner, at which point dinner is the meal that will become a little bit more random. Uh, and then also, uh, I do cyclic, uh, ketosis, meaning that I really don't eat any carbs until the very end of the day. And up until that point, most of my diet is extremely plant rich with small amounts of fats uh, and small amounts of protein. Um, and then at the end of the day, uh, when, uh, I have finished a workout, I'm very insulin sensitive, my glucose transporter genes are, are activated. That, that's when I will consume uh, carbohydrates ad libitum, right? like anywhere from 100 to 200 grams of you know, tubers or sweet potatoes or yams or red wine or dark chocolate or whatever. So this idea of, of cyclic ketosis, cycling in and out of ketosis. 
Uh, in addition to that, I'll do every week or two a 24-hour fast um, uh, for for a little bit of you know better better apoptosis, better cellular cleanup, a little bit of a break for the gut. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and generally, as far as the actual foods that I choose, I don't restrict dairy, I don't restrict grains. I don't restrict legumes. All I do is ensure that they are prepared properly. So I'm going to have quinoa. It's got to be soaked and rinsed well. Or if I have uh, lentils, uh, typically only if they're sprouted or fermented do I do very well with them. Or if I'm going to do, um, let's say, dairy, right? typically for me it needs to be rather raw dairy or fermented dairy. So I suppose if you were to, to paint my diet into any pretty little corner, it would be something very similar like the Weston A. Price Foundation type of diet. Um, but yeah, I'd say a Weston A price ish form of eating, uh, in a very cyclic ketogenic form with good amounts of self quantification so that I know what gaps need to be filled in and any foods that need to be avoided would pretty much describe my overall dietary philosophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's a very sound philosophy. And as you said, we're all unique. We've all experienced life in a different way. Our physiology is different. Our microbiome is different. So you're going to have different reactions to different food types. So you just have to trial and error and, and even get as in-depth in looking at your ge- genetics. Um, and I think you would need someone like you to help counsel them through some of that, would they? Yeah, thanks for the plug. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> of course, man. You know, it's, uh, that, I think that's why people love you, Ben, because um, you, you, um, you have such a wide array of knowledge that you're able to to suggest many many possible routes to look at to to try help someone on their own personal journey with whatever they're trying to achieve in life so i think that's fantastic um how best would people uh, i mean i know how to follow you but someone who doesn't know ben greenfield how what would be the best ways to keep up to date with you i send out a newsletter uh every week from my website at bengreenfieldfitness.com you know, like Fridays, I do a weekly roundup that kind of uh, aggregates everything I've talked about from podcasts I've been on or recorded myself to articles I've written or contributed to other sites to typically I'll put in there the latest uh, biohacks or foods or books or supplements that I've been experimenting with. So uh, subscribing to the newsletter over at bengreenfieldfitness.com would probably be the best way to, to really stay tuned to all the content I'm putting out. Yeah, because you, you're a machine, man. You, put, you pump out some... Uh some content like anything it's incredible and uh same with your podcast and anyone who's listening to this your your podcast is a is a fantastic resource too to subscribe to and listen to so ben i just want to say i just want to say thank you so much for giving me your time today and sharing um some some uh great personal insights and i think some some real basic health advice that anyone could take action using today which is exactly what the show is about listening to what someone says and and taking action today. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me on.